0: A Poor Man's Tale of a Patent by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Maggs. I am not used to writing for print. What working man, that never labours less, some Mondays and Christmas time and Easter time excepted, than twelve or fourteen hours a day, is, but I have been asked to put down plain what I have got to say, and so I take pen and ink, and do it to the best of my power, hoping defects will find excuse. I was born, nigh London, but have worked at a shop in Birmingham, what you would call manufactories we call shops, almost ever since I was out of my time. I served my apprenticeship at Deptford, nigh where I was born, and I am a smith by trade. My name is John. I have been called Old John ever since I was nineteen year of age, on account of not having much hair. I am fifty-six year of age at the present time, and I don't find myself with more hair, nor yet with less, to signify, than at nineteen year of age aforesaid. I have been married five and thirty year come next April, I was married on all fool's day. Let them laugh that will. I won a good wife that day, and it was as sensible a day to me as ever I had. We have had a matter of ten children, six whereof are living. My eldest son is engineer in the Italian steam packet Mezzogiorno, plying between Marseille and Naples, and calling at Genoa, Leghorn, and Civitavecchia. He was a good workman. He invented a many useful little things that brought him in... nothing. I have two sons doing well at Sydney, New South Wales, single when last heard from. One of my sons, James, went wild and for a soldier, where he was shot in India, living six weeks in hospital, with a musket-ball lodged in his shoulder-blade, which he wrote with his own hand. He was the best-looking One of my two daughters, Mary, is comfortable in her circumstances, but water on the chest. The other, Charlotte, her husband ran away from her in the basest manner, and she and her three children live with us. The youngest, six-year-old, has a term for mechanics. I am not a chartist, and I never was. I don't mean to say, but what I see a good many public points to complain of. Still... I don't think that's the right way to set right. right. If I did think so, I should be a chartist, but I don't think so and I am not a chartist. I read the paper and hear discussion at what we call a parlour in Birmingham and I know many good men and workmen who are chartists. Note, not physical force. It won't be took as boastful in me if I make the remark... For I can't put down what I have got to say without putting that down before going any further that I have always been of an ingenious turn. Once I got twenty pound by a screw and it's in use now. I have been twenty year on and off completing an invention and perfecting it. I perfected of it last Christmas Eve at ten o'clock at night. Me and my wife stood and let some tears fall over the model when it was done, and I brought her in to take a look at it. A friend of mine, by the name of William Butcher, is a chartist. Moderate. He is a good speaker. He is very animated. I have often heard him deliver that what is, at every turn in the way of us working men, is that too many places have been made, in the course of time, to provide for people that never ought to have been provided for, and that we have to obey forms and pay fees to support those places when we shouldn't ought. True, delivers William Butcher, all the public has to do this, but it falls heaviest on the working man, because he has least to spare, and likewise because impediments shouldn't be put in his way when he wants redress of wrong or furtherance of right.' Note, I have wrote down those words from William Butcher's own mouth, W.B. delivering them fresh for the aforesaid purpose. Now, to my model again. There it was, perfected of, on Christmas Eve, gone nigh a year, at ten o'clock at night. All the money I could spare I had laid out on the model, and when times was bad, or my daughter Charlotte's children sickly, or both, It had stood still months at a spell. I had pulled it to pieces, and made it over again with improvements I don't know how often. There it stood, at last, a perfected model as aforesaid. William Butcher and me had a long talk, Christmas Day, respecting of the model. William is very sensible, but sometimes cranky. William said, What will you do with it, John? I said, patent it. William said, how patent it, John? I said, by taking out a patent. William then delivered that the law of patent was a cruel wrong. William said, John, if you make your invention public before you get a patent, anyone may rob you of the fruits of your hard work. You are put in a cleft stick, John. Either you must drive a bargain very much against yourself, by getting a party to come forward beforehand with the great expenses of the patent, or you must be put about, from post to pillar, among so many parties, trying to make a better bargain for yourself, and showing your invention, that your invention will be took from you over your head. I said, William Butcher, are you cranky? You are sometimes cranky. William said, ''No, John, I tell you the truth,'' which he then delivered at more length. I said to W.B. I would patent the invention myself. My wife's brother, George Berry of West Bromwich, his wife unfortunately took to drinking, made away with everything, and seventeen times committed to Birmingham jail, before happy release in every point of view, "'Left my wife, his sister, when he died, a legacy of £128.10, Bank of England stocks. "'Me and my wife never broke into that money yet. "'Note, we might come to be old and past our work. "'We now agreed to patent the invention. "'We said we would make a hole in it, I mean in the aforesaid money, and patent the invention.' William Butcher wrote me a letter to Thomas Joy in London. T.J. is a carpenter, six foot four in height and plays quite well. He lives in Chelsea, London, by the church. I got leave from the shop, to be took on again when I come back. I am a good workman, not a teetotaller, but never drunk. When the Christmas holidays were over I went up to London by the parliamentary train and hired a lodging for a week with Thomas Joy. He is married, he has one son gone to sea. Thomas Joy delivered from a book he had that the first step to be took in patenting the invention was to prepare a petition unto Queen Victoria. William Butcher had delivered similar and drawn it up. Note, William is a ready writer. A declaration before a master in Chancery was to be added to it, that we likewise drew up. After a deal of trouble I found out a master, in Southampton Buildings, Chancery Lane, nigh Temple Bar, where I made the declaration and paid 18 pence. I was told to take the declaration and petition to the Home Office, in Whitehall, where I left it to be signed by the Home Secretary. After I had found the office out, and where I paid two pound two and sixpence. In six days he signed it, and I was told to take it to the Attorney General's chambers and leave it there for a report. I did so, and paid four pound four. Note. Nobody all through, ever thankful for their money, but all uncivil. My lodging at Thomas Joy's was now hired for another week. Whereof five days were gone. The Attorney General made what they call a report, of course, my invention being, as William Butcher had delivered before starting, unopposed, and I was sent back with it to the Home Office. They made a copy of it, which was called a Warrant. For this warrant I paid seven pound thirteen and six. It was sent to the Queen to sign. The Queen sent it back, signed. The Home Secretary signed it again. The gentleman throwed it at me when I called and said, now take it to the patent office in Lincoln's Inn. I was then in my third week at Thomas Joy's, living very sparing on account of fees. I found myself losing heart. At the patent office in Lincoln's Inn, they made a draft of the Queen's bill of my invention and a docket of the bill I paid five pound ten and six for this. They engrossed two copies of the bill, one for the Signet Office and one for the Privy Seal Office. I paid one pound seven and six for this. Stamp duty over and above three pound. The engrossing clerk of the same office engrossed the Queen's Bill for signature. I paid him one pound one. Stamp duty again one pound ten. I was next to take the Queen's bill to the Attorney General, again and get it signed again. I took it and paid five pounds more. I fetched it away and took it to the home secretary again. He sent it to the Queen again, she signed it again. I paid seven pound thirteen and six more for this. I have been over a month at Thomas Joy's. I was quite wore out, patience and pocket. Thomas Joy delivered all this, as it went on, to William Butcher. William Butcher delivered it again to three Birmingham parlours, from which it got to all the other parlours, and was took, as I have been told since, right through all the shops in the north of England. Note, William Butcher delivered, at his parlour in a speech, that it was a patent way of making chartists. But I hadn't nigh done yet. The Queen's bill was to be took to the signet office in Somerset House Strand, where the stamp shop is. The clerk of the signet made a signet bill for the Lord Keeper of the Privy Seal. I paid him £4.7. The clerk of the Lord Keeper of the Privy Seal made a Privy Seal bill for the Lord Chancellor. I paid him £4.2. The Privy Seal bill was handed over to the clerk of the patents who grossed the foresaid. I paid him five pounds seventeen and eight. At the same time, I paid stamp duty for the patent in one lump, thirty pound. I next paid for boxes for the patent nine and sixpence. Note: Thomas Joy would have made the same at a profit for eighteen pence. I next paid fees to the deputy, the Lord Chancellor's purse bearer two pound two. I next paid fees to the clerk of the Hanapa seven pound thirteen. I next paid fees to the Deputy Clerk of the Hanapa ten shillings. I next paid to the Lord Chancellor again one pound eleven and six. Last of all, I paid fees to the Deputy Sealer and the Deputy Chaffwax, ten shillings and sixpence. I had lodged at Thomas Joy's over six weeks, and the unopposed patent for my invention, for England only, had cost me ninety-six pounds, seven-and-eightpence. If I had taken it out for the United Kingdom, it would have cost me more than three hundred pounds. Now, teaching had not come up but very limited when I was young. So much the worse for me, you'll say. I say the same. William Butcher is twenty year younger than me. He knows a hundred year more. If William Butcher had wanted to patent an invention, he might have been sharper than myself when hustled backwards and forwards among all those offices, though I doubt if so patient. Note, William being sometimes cranky and considers porters, messengers and clerks. Thereby I say nothing of my being tired of my life while I was patenting my invention. But I put this... Is it reasonable to make a man feel as if, in inventing an ingenious improvement meant to do good, he had done something wrong? How else can a man feel when he is met by such difficulties at every turn? All inventors taking out a patent must feel so. And look at the expense, how hard on me and how hard on the country if there's any merit in me. And my invention is took up now, I'm thankful to say and doing well to put me to all that expense before i can move a finger make the addition yourself and it'll come to 96 pounds seven and eight pence. no more and no less what can i say against william butcher about places look at the home secretary the attorney general the patent office the engrossing clerk the lord chancellor the privy seal the clerk of the patents the Lord Chancellor's purse bearer, the Clerk of the Hanapa, the Deputy Clerk of the Hanapa, the Deputy Sealer, and the Deputy Chaffwax. No man in England could get a pattern for an Indian rubber band or an iron hoop without feeing all of them, some of them over and over again. I went through thirty five stages. I began with the Queen upon the throne; I ended with the Deputy Chaffwax. Note.--I should like to see the Deputy Chaffwax.--Is it a man, or what is it?--What I had to tell I have told.--I have wrote it down.--I hope it's plain.--Not so much in the handwriting, as i nothing to boast of there, as in the sense of it.--I will now conclude with Thomas Joy.--Thomas said to me, when we parted,--'john, if the laws of this country were as honest as they ought to be, you would have come to London, registered an exact description and drawing of your invention, paid half a crown or so for doing of it, and therein and thereby have got your patent. My opinion is the same as Thomas Joy. Further, in William Butcher's delivering that the whole gang of Hannipers and chaff-waxes must be done away with and that England has been chaffed and waxed sufficient, I agree. End of A Poor Man's Tale of a Patent by Charles Dickens